Thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate this opportunity to be able to speak to you. I've really grown to love Jim Garrett, that uh, we've known each other now for several years as we've been over there with the second year residents of In His Image Family Practice Residency and learning about the Dulos Principle. I'm sure you've heard about the Dulos Principle. <laughs> and uh, known Joel for a number of years, too, and really appreciate the Compassion Ministries, Terry Law Ministries. It's uh, uh, I didn't realize all the connectedness that I had here with you folks. Uh, when I talked with Gordon Wright, it turns out that uh, I was over in uh, Pakistan, actually was in Peshawar, and uh, found out that uh, the uh, shelter now folks over there taking care of hundreds of thousands of refugees and looking at the buildings that they were, uh, I was really impressed, but I didn't, we didn't meet until this time, this uh, uh this is the first time that we've actually met, but I realize that we have so many common friends uh, around the world. I guess when you're involved in missions, uh, so many times you do cross paths with so many others, and because we're one family, and those that have the same heart for the Lord uh, tend to bump into each other. And uh, one of the things that I've really uh, desired, and I've really been praying very much, I can't tell you how often uh, my coming here has been on my mind in terms of praying, because... I can titillate you with a whole bunch of stories after 106 Nations of Bio. It's 35 years now over uh, medical missions work. And, uh, but that's not what I want to do. That, uh, I'm not just here to tell stories or entertain per se. I actually have had a sense in my own spirit that I was going to be learning from you too, that somehow there was going to be a mutual blessing one to the other. Uh, and I really do appreciate that. And I really appreciate the shepherds taking me in, shepherding me, in their home, taking, putting me up in their home. I really do appreciate that. Because the one thing that I've sensed, even in this short time that I've been here, has been the fact that I feel like I'm with family. Uh, and there's a real brotherhood. In fact, one of the things, is that as I've been around 106 nations around the world, I can say that whenever I've met true believers around the world, I recognize them in the spirit. I don't know what their church background is. I don't know anything else, but I can recognize that we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, which is what we really want. We understand the body of Christ is very real and that we can really trust each other. And was it uh, Paul or was it Peter that said, I, I know no man except by the Spirit? Uh, in other words, the way we really understand somebody is not by the words that they say, but it's by the Holy Spirit giving witness to us that something is really of God. And in fact, something that God's been working on my heart just lately, just over and over and over again, is, is uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Do you claim to be a child of God? Do you claim to be a son of... And when I say son, that doesn't express gender. It actually... The son, the term there really means a maturing one. Can you relate to the fact that those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God? And one of the things that has really been just blowing my mind... uh, Excuse me for using the expression but to the degree to which God has gone to reveal himself to us and that we have access to the mind of the Father, we have access to the mind of the Son. It's, isn't that aw- awesome? Yeah. 
In fact, the book that I've written, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit about that, some of the stories, Decisions Determine Destiny, that was one of my dad's favorite sayings. One of the titles that actually I wrestled with in terms of what should I call um, this book, what should I name the book, and one of the titles that I actually wrestled with I ended up not using, but I really wanted to, and it was God Chose Love. God chose love. The other thing that just absolutely boggles my mind, excuse me if I keep, I mean, God keeps boggling my mind all the time, that God, before the foundation of the world, before he made anything, he planned our salvation. Jesus, who was sacrificed, crucified, before the foundation of the world. I tell you what, would you ever planned something to where you would create something that would require you to die? To be able to bring them back into relationship with yourself? Say, hey, listen, that, that's a price I don't want to pay. But then I think about Isaiah 53 where it says where it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. How in the, how in the world, what kind of love is this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what missions is all about. I mean, we're extension of the love of God. And I just, I can't wrap my arms around him. I mean, God chose love. It was a choice on his part. It, he didn't just fall into it. it. This was something to which he knew, I'm going to create mankind. In fact, the Bible does say that he repented that, repented that he made man after all the problems that we gave him. But... Uh, he knew ahead of time what was going to happen. And he still went through with it. There must be something incredibly unique about the relationship that God wants to have with us. Think about it. That God was willing to send his son. God the Father was willing to send his son. And it pleased the Father to bruise the son. When I think of my own children, I've got three sons and a daughter, and I'm just thinking, is there anything that I would ever do that it would please me to harm them? To have them go through that kind of agony, to be beaten to the, with an inch of his life in terms of the beating? Of course, he lost his life on the cross itself, but would it please us? And then it, we hear the, how Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. But it says in Hebrews, and he says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set... I don't think we comprehend what is really going to be in it for us. In fact, I wasn't going to do it in this order, but I'm going to go ahead and do it in this order because this is the way I, I kind of feel uh, led to go. I'm going to actually show you some videos in just a moment, but this whole idea of God's love for us is just, is something I, I, I just, I'm trying to even just scratch the surface as to what the depth of it is. I uh, went to Barranquilla, I believe it was in 1989, Barranquilla, Colombia. And this was during the drug cartel uh, time and a lot of problems in, uh, in Colombia and uh, Cali and other places. They had these drug cartels. And in fact, if you remember, uh, there was a... Um, 
a, a bomb that went off in Bogota, uh, Colombia, that uh, killed several hundred people, I believe, and there was an Avianca air flight that uh, was blown out of the sky because somebody was trying to kill one of the uh, presidential candidates. There, there was a lot of tensions there. The, uh, our U.S. government had sent in uh, some aid to the Colombian government to help them fight against the drug cartels, and so there was a lot of tensions. And um, we were supposed to take a team down there to Barranquilla, Colombia. And uh, I remember uh, when that plane blew up, and then there was a, a threat of a plane going out on Avianca out of uh, Los Angeles that was going down to uh, Colombia. And um, there was a, a threat of a, a, a bomb on it. It turns out it was a Nintendo toy. It, didn't, it was not actually a bomb, but that was reported in the news. And we were scheduled a week later to, to leave on our trip. In fact, one of our team members ended up uh, deciding not to come. Uh, there, it was a young nurse, and her parents didn't want her to come in, th in this kind of a situation. I remember praying very earnestly and saying, God, I don't mind dying for you, but I sure don't want to die for some drug cartel. Uh, and I sure don't want to be responsible for taking people down to uh, Colombia if, if it was not going to be safe for them. I really need to know in my spirit. This is where... I come back to the, the statement saying, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. You, you've got, an, in situations like this, you don't just go off and be making foolish decisions. You've got to be led of the Holy Spirit. And I just stop and think about Terry Law Ministries and some of those exciting things that have been done. Some of them were absolutely very crazy that uh, was done. But God protected you because he was leading you and guiding and directing in that way. And so... Uh, I was really asking God, are we supposed to go? And I asked my uh, chaplain of our ministry, Jose Garastegui from Puerto Rico, and he's, I said, Jose, what do you think? Is it safe to go? And he said, I think the Lord's going to bless what we're going to do. But he said, it will be dangerous. But we're going to see difficulties, but it's, it's uh, safe to go. So we went on down there, and we had a marvelous clinic there. In fact, uh, it was... Um, we had quite a few uh, doctors and nurses uh, from uh, Colombia that joined with us. It was a, a wonderful team, though one of the guys there, uh, uh, his name was uh, uh, Pablo, same as my name, Paul. And uh, he had dropped out of medical uh, residency because he wanted to do mission work. He didn't see how he could do missions and do medicine uh, with missions, so he dropped out of medicine. And when uh, we invited him to come and work with us, uh, he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and uh, he said, what are you Americans going to try to teach us medicine or something? I said, no. I said, that's not the situation. We want to show you how we share Jesus Christ with patients. And so he ended up uh, joining me in that particular uh, clinic. And uh, after about a half day, he saw how many people that came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He went up went out and started seeing patients on his own. During that week, he probably won more people to Jesus than anybody else because he saw what was going to be there. Uh, but anyway, during that week, the two pastors came to us and said, we feel like there's danger for the team. And we were supposed to, on the Friday of that week, we were supposed to actually um, uh, have a, a farewell service in the evening on Friday evening. It turns out that Friday it was the, I believe it's the Asuncion de Maria. It was the Ascension of Mary 
was that particular celebration at that time. And you, they said uh, there's going to be a lot of fireworks, there's going to be a, uh, a lot of noise and celebration. And it so happened that uh, just two days before, about on Wednesday of that week, we'd had uh, some men that were killed that were part of the cartel just a few blocks away from our clinic. And so the pastors were sensing that there's danger here for the team. And so we decided we were going to close the clinic early on Friday um, and not come back for the evening service. But before we uh, dismissed on Friday, uh, I went out to speak to the people that were waiting. In fact, there was a a circular uh, steps in front of the church. And uh, I... um, Uh, stood out. In fact, I was standing in the doorway of the church before I went to speak. And I remember having the thought in my mind, Paul, you're in a good position to get shot. I've never had that thought ever cross my mind before, but that's what went through my mind. And I dismissed the thought and I went out and I started to preach to the people. And um, as I was speaking, I preached in a way that I never have done before or since. The way I started off was, I said, you can either serve God or you can serve Satan. You can either go to heaven or you can go to hell. And that's exactly the way I expressed it. Now, I've never done that before. I usually talk about a God of love and put my arm around uh, somebody, and I just really want to talk to them about Jesus being uh, the one that died for them and loved them. But it turns out, I did not know this, but a man about as close to me as you, Bill, that, but he was just a little ways off to the right, had come there with a gun under his arm to shoot us. And, um, of course, I didn't know that. He was just over there that close by. And as it turned out, uh, after I gave the altar call uh, to ask people to receive Jesus Christ, he became one of those who received Christ as his personal Savior. So one of the nurses who spoke Spanish came up alongside him and felt like she should just talk to him and about the decision that he had made. And um, he said, feel under my arm. And she felt the revolver under his arm. And he said, I came here with the intention of shooting you. But he said, I like this. When I found out, I, I liked it too, you know, when I found out. <clears throat> but... That's not the, the, just the unique thing about that particular week. I praise God for, that I'm able to stand here and tell you the story. But on Wednesday of that week, and I'm talking about God's love, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was in heaven. And I was in heaven. I was talking. I didn't see heaven, so I can't describe what heaven was like. I just knew I was in heaven. And uh, one of the doctors that was with us uh, on that trip, Dr. James Wood, uh, he and I were talking about what it was like being in heaven, and people started walking up to me and uh, treating me like royalty. I felt very uncomfortable that people were treating me like royalty in heaven. So I then thought in my dream, I thought, well, they're treating me like royalty because if Jesus loved me enough to die for me, out of respect for Jesus, they're showing me respect. That's the way I was thinking about it. Well, then the next thought came to me in my dream, but you are the body of Christ. That made it a little bit more real as to why people might be coming up and showing uh, appreciation and, and honoring us, and, and I'd felt uncomfortable. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to my, my spirit and said, you are the bride of Christ. 
Now, for a man, a man has a hard time getting his arms around that one with his head. But I was in a dream state, and I was, it, was, it bypassed my mind and got down into my spirit as I began to understand that his desire was to be, that I would be part of his bride. And I woke up crying. As I was starting to go back to sleep, the verse came into my mind saying, the Lord has sent forth his guardian angels to protect his future saints, to protect his saints. Out of Hebrews, that's a scripture out of Hebrews, actually. And so it was just a day and a half later when that man had come there with the intention of shooting us and the Lord had just revealed that uh, he was going to be protecting. Isn't that incredible? I tell you what, and I, you just realize that you need to be able to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And one of the things that uh, my dad lived to be 96 years of age, and uh, I am just so grateful to the Lord uh, for the father that he gave me. Um, and had a man of great wisdom. And uh, one of his favorite sayings was, Decisions determine destiny. And the last sermon that he ever preached, he was 96 years of age. He was at the church of my oldest son, Jim, and uh, he was in a wheelchair, and I got on one side, my son Jim got on the other side, and we just lifted his wheelchair up and put him on, on the platform, and he preached this last sermon, Decisions Determine Destiny. It impacted the people of the church that when I went back there just a couple years ago, people came up to me and said, I still remember your dad's 3D sermon. <laughs> Decisions determine destiny. And there's a story about Ruth and Boaz and about Naomi. And Ruth's decision says, Whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God shall be my God. Well, that decision that she made is what made her a forefather of David, a forefather of uh, um, uh, an ancestor of Jesus Christ. That decision... Decisions do determine destiny. And one of the things that I really have wanted to challenge you on um, uh, during this mission time is even little tiny decisions can make a huge difference. And sometimes we think we can make the little decisions on our own. We'll ask God for the big decisions. But no, every little decision, I'm going to share with you a little bit about some of those, but... um, how God has guided me throughout my life. And I really would I'd love to be able to have you have this book because this, this does talk about my spiritual journey in many, many different ways. Even as childhood or working with Teen Challenge in Chicago and Los Angeles, working, going through medical school and how the Lord led me there, led me into medical missions. I'm going to share some of those stories there too. But there's stories of deliverance. There's stories of uh, uh, how I got exposed to abortion for the first time when I was in medical school and some of the issues that we're facing today. I think you would find it very much uh, challenging. But I want to... I want to challenge you with uh, two different videos that I have. They're very short. Uh, The first one is going to be of the time when I was with uh, Operation Blessing. Uh, We started their medical division. I don't know how many of you, you're old enough to know, remember the Flying Hospital uh, uh, with Operation Blessing? Well, the Lord used us to be uh, there to start the medical program that incorporated the uh, Flying Hospital. And um, the first... um, video uh, that I'm going to be showing you. Uh, it's called Voices of uh, Mercy, uh, which 
was our response to the Hutu and the Tutsi fighting over in Rwanda, and there were a million refugees that came into Goma Zaire, which is now Congo. And the day that we arrived, there were 10,000 bodies on the ground, 60,000 people died over about six weeks. It was one of the most horrific, it was the most horrific thing I've ever seen in terms of human tragedy. And uh, I want you to see that. The reason why I'm showing you some of these, uh, when I was with CBN, obviously I had a whole film crew that could come and uh, film things. I don't really have that now with my, uh, the ministries that I'm with right now, but um, I had that, and so it, it does illustrate uh, tremendous problems within nations and, and the uh, conflict that's there and uh, how God can bring healing uh, into that situation. Uh, in fact, when we were there, uh, we actually had six months of presence, but uh, after the first six weeks, the people there in Goma Zaire erected a church tent. And guess what they named the church tent? God walks in this place. With all this uh, misery and, and death all around. And then the next one that I want to show you is uh, experience in Sortavala, which is in western Russia. And uh, the, it used to be part of Finland. In fact, we worked with the Finnish Pentecostal Church uh, and going into that particular region, and some of the people that we worked with, it, they used to live there, and they were forced out by the Russians uh, going back into Finland. But we, it, there was a window of time there early in the 1990s where there were, the doors were open to be able to share the gospel, and uh, we need to take advantage of when the Lord opens up doors. And uh, I'll refer again to the Terry Law Ministries also that have done some of that and also what uh, uh, Gordon has done in the different ministries that he's, he's had as well. There are so many ministries that have moved immediately when the need was there. If you wait, like some mission organizations have done where you say, well, we've got to send over people for two to three, four years to learn the language before we can send them out. That's, you've got to be led by the Spirit of God when you do things. But anyway, I want to show those uh, videos. The first one is going to be of uh, Goma Zaire, where we, the day we arrived, 10,000 bodies were on the ground. Let's go ahead and show that. say that the reason I'm here is that God called me to come here to help these people. She called me up early in the morning and said, honey, if you're supposed to go, you better go. We'll be okay. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yep. I've been up all night praying about it. It was just something I felt inside that it was just the will of God. Psalm 91 came to uh, the forefront in such a mighty way the idea that a thousand would fall at one side and ten thousand on the other side, I always looked at that as being figurative. But here I was actually looking at what those numbers were actually happening in a physical sense. I'd heard in the States going to use that um, a few hundred people were dying per day of cholera. I witnessed mile after mile of bodies on each side of the road, oceans of uh, people living in squalor amongst 
dead bodies wandering aimlessly. The smell of death was one thing that I was told I'd never forget. I looked at his leg and I saw a little vein in his leg and I put a needle there and I got a vein and it meant the difference between life and death of this young man. The rest of these babies along this row here uh, are actually orphans and uh, we were having difficulties when they first came in down there to get IVs started and so we've started nasogastric tubes on them and given a very slow uh, drip into their stomachs and they all seem to be tolerating it very well. The medical supplies um, did a lot. It, it gave us the power in our hands to show the people how to take care of themselves. It has just been the most beautiful day. We've finally gotten a handle on the problems of the colony's children. So far today, we've had no babies die. Every patient I touched, I prayed for. I know physically there was a number of patients that, that we saved. There were some that were next to dead and just the uh, care that we gave them that they're now alive and they walked out instead of dying which they would have done within hours they saw jesus in me and they saw that i i was caring i really would like to stimulate those of you in the pews in the united states to not just look at the pictures that you see over tv but to where you let the holy spirit speak to your heart and say how can i become involved some of you can come but there are others of you that can either pray, and I'll tell you what, prayer is such a mighty weapon, and we need to pull down strongholds in prayer, but then otherwise, you can give. But whatever you can do, I ask you, don't be put back by the tremendous need and saying, well, what will my little bit do? It's going to be by a lot of people doing a little bit that's going to make the real difference. The journey was tiring. The roads were dangerous. The accommodations were spartan, but they had to come. The long days blurred with the nights. The crowds were large, and the workers became weary, but they had to come. For Yuri. When I came, I was bad. It was hard for me. He told us about his loneliness. He had epilepsy, heart problems, he had a problem with his stomach, a gastritis, and we treated his medical problems, but the most special thing was, is after that, we talked to him about Jesus, and he received Jesus in a most beautiful way. He said that uh, Jesus helped me, him, and it's easier for him to live now. I love you. And you can just see them coming in, coming in, ready to be ministered to physically, but their spiritual needs even speak louder. For Elena and Ludmilla. It's very difficult for many people, especially people of my age, to accept God because for many, many years we were assured that there are no God. 
Ludmilla is a Russian teacher, wife of a former Communist Party official. She'd come to the tent only to translate for the doctors, but it was the doctors who were able to translate a message to her. He found the words that my soul need, my heart need, because he prayed for me, and uh, I felt that uh, God came to my heart. Ludmilla wasted no time in sharing what had happened to her. She invited one of her favorite students, 20-year-old Elena, to the tent. I came just to see a clinic. But when I turned to her and asked her, does she believe in God, she said no. I said, but I want to tell you a story in the Bible. As she realized what it meant to be born again, she said, happy birthday to me. And before she left, she ended up uh, saying, this is the chair I was born in. I was in born because it's just the revolution in myself. Jesus is the proof. I've got freedom my, of my soul. We are like a uh, fisherman, and the net is there, and he's grabbing them in. <laughs> For Lydia. I was ashamed of coming. I was afraid people would say, where are you going, old lady? You have already lived. Lydia's heart is weak. She's 86 and has lived a long, hard life. She's lived long enough to see communism rise and fall. Long enough to raise 10 children. Long enough to be banished to Siberia and tortured. Long enough to know, as every Russian Christian knows, that it was only God who could have sustained her. This day, she has walked two miles to see the doctors about her heart. It's a miracle for me. I am so happy that I have lived to this moment. I don't know how to thank you. The doctors were sent to me by God. Lydia was so overwhelmed with gratitude, she invited her new American friends to her home to share what little she has. And when they left Lydia, they knew again. We get so much than we could ever give when we see the joy coming to their the eyes that were once so dark and to see the hope of Jesus Christ come in and know that they're going to make it. We have already admitted as many patients as we can possibly see today. We feel badly that we cannot attend to everyone, but I would like to share something with you. Medicine is going to last just for a short time, but faith in God will last for eternity. How many of you would like to pray with me at this time to ask Jesus to come into your heart? I hope you're able to see the effectiveness of reaching out and touching with the love of God. That story about Elena at the very, uh, the second one, uh, Ludmilla had been my interpreter initially. She was an English teacher. But when she received Jesus Christ, she asked Elena to come in. And, and it was something to, that I thought it was an appropriate question to ask a young woman uh, in Russia 
did she believe in God? And she said, no, I don't believe in God. But rather than giving up and just rather turning away and just accepting that, I then shared this story uh, in Revelation chapter 3.20 where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and sup with him or fellowship with him. And uh, when I said that to Elena, the Holy Spirit showed up in such a way that you could almost cut it with a knife. I mean, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong. And I just looked at Elena after she had just said to me she didn't believe in God. I said, Elena, do you think maybe Jesus is knocking on your heart's door? And she said, yes. And she prayed to receive Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. So I, I then explained to her what it meant to be born again. And that's when she said, happy birthday to me. And then she turned to the chair where she had prayed and she said, this is the chair I was born in. All that happened within 10 minutes span of time, going from saying, I don't believe in God, to where this is the chair I was born in. And I tell you what, being able to use medicine as a tool to be able to bring people to Jesus, by the way, Everything that I've seen regarding the various uh, missions that you're supporting and all the things that you're doing, no matter what the area is, when you show the love of Jesus Christ, it opens up the hearts of people to receive Christ. When you see a person that says hungry and cold and naked, you don't just say to them, God bless you and be warm, but you give them those things that they need. And when you do that, you open up their heart. In fact... Um, uh, the, had this experience in uh, Neuquén, uh, Argentina, uh, that uh, it was a place called the Graveyard for Pastors. And um, uh, the, the uh, missionaries there had been trying for years to get a church established in Neuquén, and they had not succeeded. And um, so uh, the, uh, we took over $90,000 worth of medicines. We had a team of 20-some-odd people. And when we got there, there was a Baptist a mission there uh, with five Baptist doctors. And when we came to them, they said, why did you come? Because we have socialized medicine here in Argentina and people get free medical care, free examinations, free medicines. Uh, we see about 50 patients a week. And he says, we don't really need you to come. Why did you come? Now, that's not the best reception, can you imagine, when you just have been traveling all the way to Argentina. And... Um, I said, well, I tell you what, if patients don't come, we'll just leave the medications with you, and you can just have, a, uh, have the medications. We'll just leave it with you. Well, that week we had 1,600 patients. We had 550 receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And it was just so many people received Christ that the missionary said, we're going to build a church in this area. Three months later, they had a church built down there. The first Sunday, they had 350 in, in attendance. Uh, of which they identified that 250 received Jesus as their personal Savior in the medical clinic. Looking back, they discovered that 40% of the population of Neuquén, Argentina, were Chilean. They really uh, weren't Argentinian. And so they were outside the medical system. And so the Baptist uh, doctors came up to me and just said, we apologize. We did not understand what the situation was here. But when you're led by the Holy Spirit, God opens up certain doors to you and you make a difference. You, you can't go by just what you know. In fact, I've got a message tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm almost tempted to start into it today, but I'm not. But it's something that which I really feel is a challenge to you as a church. Uh, in terms of what God would like to see done within your own 
church and what God will do. I, uh, and I know you have such a heart for missions. It's just an, it's a real thrill to be able to talk to you. But, you know, we have something in our armamentarian as believers and as spirit-filled believers that other people do not have. And so many medical mission programs that I've seen, and particularly those that are secular in nature where they don't bring together the spiritual aspects of things, they help people. And I know God is pleased with what they're doing but they're not given the whole package. And we are body, soul, and spirit. And if we don't treat the spirit as well, then we are not giving them eternal life. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God does not have life. And so you're dealing with a dead person if you don't have Jesus in their heart. I mean, if you can't share Christ. And, and so uh, it is just so important uh, for us to be able to uh, bring Jesus Christ uh, to these people. Uh, Deliverance is one of the other areas that if you're spirit-filled that we have the opportunity to be able to, one, identify evil spirits and to also then to pray with those people and to help them break free from that. Uh, One of the most dramatic uh, situations that I encountered was down in Guatemala. Uh, We were working with a certain church down there and uh, the uh, head of the Spiritual counseling, by the way, what we do is we have people, we often will have eye, dental, general medical, sometimes we even have surgical teams and so forth. But on this particular one, we just had dental, eye, and and general medical, and then pharmacy. And then we have a counseling area where people go to after they've been seen by the various medical professionals. But by the way, we don't leave it up to the counseling area to lead people to Jesus. We have the healthcare professionals share Christ with the patients themselves. And I'll tell you what, if you have a venereal disease or have other problems, if you don't open up with the doctor, you're not going to be treated. So you've got to tell the truth. And so we find out that the patients open up and tell the truth about what their medical condition is. Then when you do treat them, their hearts are opened up to the Lord. Well, in this particular situation down there in Guatemala, uh, the head, uh, a woman uh, over the counseling area came to me and she said, uh, Dr. Williams, uh, my daughter and her husband uh, would like to have you see them. I said, well, I'd be happy to, but I said, the team is already on the bus. We've closed the pharmacy, uh, and I'll be happy to see them first thing in the morning. And um, she said, well, but the husband is leaving tomorrow morning for work in another city, and it would be impossible for him to come. And I said, okay, uh, I'll go ahead and see them. The reason why I said that was because when I go to different countries, Christians, as a general rule, are not as sick as unbelievers. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that pattern yourself, but if people are living for the Lord, often they are healthier than the general population. And so I thought this would be very quick and easy. These are the kids of, a, of the head counselor for the uh, prayer area, and surely they're not uh, going to be all that sick. So I, I said, sure, I'll see them. And I thought it would take five minutes just to basically find out what was there, give them some maybe pain medicine or vitamins or something, and, and let, be on my way. Well, I did something again which I have never done before and, or since. I just looked at them sitting across from me. I said, you are believers, aren't you? I mean, I just started off that way. I was making the assumption that they knew Jesus Christ. They were the, she was the daughter of the head uh, prayer person, uh, and I thought, well, surely they know Jesus. And they both looked back at me and said, uh, no, we're not. 
I had to pull my foot out of my mouth at that particular time and just back up and say, okay, well then tell me what your medical problem is. Well, the woman began to describe a urinary tract infection, which I was assuming ultimately was a venereal disease, a sexually transmitted disease. Well, I didn't want to get into marital infidelity right off the bat. I wanted to, you know, here I am supposed to be rapidly going through this because the team's waiting outside. And um, so then I turned to the husband. I said, sir, have you ever had similar symptoms? as your wife? And he said, yes. Uh, I said, what did your doctor treat you with? He said, penicillin. Now, any, anybody who knows anything about a male urinary tract infection treated with penicillin, it's a sexually transmitted disease, okay? So he was telling on himself by saying what the doctor treated him with, though he said the doctor assured me it was not a sexually transmitted disease. Well, he, I was getting deeper and deeper here. So I decided to go back to the wife and just say, did you have any other medical problems? And she said, well, I've been having seizures since I was just an early teenager. And she, I, and she described them to me, and they did not sound typical to me as uh, I would either petty mall or grand mall. I didn't, just didn't sound right. I said, well, when did these uh, seizures start? And she said, they started when I went to the funeral of my uncle, who was a medium. And she said, a black form came over me at the funeral. I just stopped right there. I just held my hand up and I said, listen, um, the problems we're dealing with here are not physical, are they? They're spiritual, aren't they? And they both nodded their heads and said, yes. So I said, let's do first things first. So I asked them to pray the sinner's prayer. If they want to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they both said yes. They prayed. The husband began to cry, just pour out his heart. He just cried and cried. The wife cried cried a little bit, but not too much. And uh, uh, then we ended up laying hands on the wife and prayed a prayer of deliverance. And this is where being spirit-filled makes such a difference. And we just laid our hands on her and prayed her, and she started going like she was going to vomit. And all of a sudden, out of her mouth, she said, Soy libre! Soy libre! You understand the Spanish? I'm free. I'm free. And then she began to speak in tongues. She, uh, we didn't ask for that. That just came out of her. She began to speak in other tongues. And, and so then after this wonderful experience, I then had to address the issue of infidelity. So I looked to the husband. After all this wonderful praying, receiving Christ, salvation, deliverance, baptism of the Holy Spirit, I then looked at the husband and I said, Sir, have you been unfaithful to your wife? I, just, I, I had no time to just beat around the bush. He looked at me, he looked at Jose, and I could tell he didn't want to give an answer. But he couldn't in that situation not tell the truth. He said, Yes, I have been unfaithful to my wife. And then we went through a process of counseling and reconciliation between them. They ended up hugging each other, praying together. We knew that the counselors in the church were going to be able to follow up with them. And by the way, when it was all over, we did treat them both with antibiotics to cover their sexually transmitted disease. But that was the least of their problems compared to all the other things. And that's where being spirit-led and spirit-filled makes all the difference in the world. You know... uh, yeah, I've got to leave a little bit of time for you all to be able to ask me some questions uh, later on. But I have found that through my life, that one, the thing that has made such a huge difference for me 
is the Bible says they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. I stop and think of David. He says, as the deer pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And then I think of uh, uh, Psalm chapter 1 where he says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, but whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor see sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Meditating on the word of God day and night. Memorizing the word of God. And the shepherds have been talking about how they've been memorizing the scriptures now for years. And I was really blessed by what they shared with me in their home. Hiding the word of God in our heart. David said, thy word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Acknowledge God in all of your ways and he will direct your paths. In other words, this is what we need in the days ahead. We have got to be able to um, hear the voice of God. Uh, there are so many different stories that I, I really would like to tell you, but maybe uh, uh, this next one. How many of you believe Jesus is coming relatively soon? Okay. Now, let me just tell a little bit on myself. I was raised uh, in Pentecost, uh, and uh, actually... My family on my dad's side was out of the Church of the Brethren, and uh, and a little bit almost governance, a little bit similar to what your own governance is here in this church. But in 1925, the Assemblies of God had their regional uh, meeting for uh, the Midwest up in a little town of Eglin, North Dakota. It had 315 people when the dogs were all home. I mean, it was a real small place, and my Grandfather was an elder in the Church of the Brethren Church. But my grandmother went to this meeting here with the Assemblies of God, which since it started in 1914, this was 11 years old, the Assemblies of God. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, they kicked my grandfather out of the Church of the Brethren because his wife had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That kind of shows you a little bit of, uh, of some of the, the roots that we've had. But I've had... All my, uh, out of that little town that um, my, fa my dad was raised in came, all seven of those children either became missionaries, Bible school teachers, or married to pastors, all seven of them, out of that unlikely place. But that was because my grandfather, who was a, kind of a retiring type of individual, a bookish type of individual, um, he also had been a farmer, uh, in Plattsburgh, Missouri, and he ended up um, in one year, 1918, he had cattle and he had wheat, and he ended up having, he earned almost $20,000 in 1918, which would be equivalent to hundreds of thousands of dollars today. And what did my grandfather do with six kids? He ultimately had seven. Uh, he ends up selling the farm, going to Bible school, and taking his whole family with him, 
And because of that, then the only place that would accept a Church of the Brethren elder with seven kids was this place up in Eglin, North Dakota, the most unlikely place you would ever believe, uh, cold winters up there in the, in the Dakotas. But God used that experience to bring all of my relatives on my dad's side into Pentecost. Isn't that incredible? You know, we can't envision how God uh, can guide us. In fact, the most unlikely of decisions. But our decisions do determine our destiny. But when I stop and think about the fact that uh, in in Romans chapter 8, where it says that the the Spirit himself bears witness, um, excuse me, not that we are the children of God, but it also then goes on to say that the Spirit of God inside of us knows the mind of the Father knows the will of the Father, and he will pray for us in groanings which cannot be uttered, and that we can have the mind of Christ, we can have the mind of the Father, and that's exactly what I'm hoping that I can really uh, share with you uh, at this time. But I ask you, how many of you believe that Jesus is coming back? I want to share with you a story that happened when God called me to work among the Jewish diaspora. Part of my calling is to work among uh, the Jewish people those that want to particularly go back and do uh, Aliyah, going back to Israel. In fact, I've done eight trips with Jonathan Burnus uh, when he was with Hero Israel and also now Jewish Voice. I've done three with Paul Wilbur, if you know who Paul Wilbur is. Uh, I've been very much involved with the Messianic movement and Tikkun Ministries and others. Anyway, I've had a lot of experience with him. With the very first trip that I went with uh, Jonathan Burnus. He was actually with Hero Israel at the time out of Jacksonville, Florida. And he wasn't sure. He had never had a medical team before go with him. I said, hey, Jonathan, give it a try. I said, I'll just come along and I'll put together a team and we'll reach out to the Jewish people there in Budapest, Hungary. This was in Budapest. And so finally I convinced him to let me come along and, and do a medical team. Well, we did minister among the Jewish people there, and it was, they were doing this Jewish festival, and many Jewish people did receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah uh, on that particular trip. But there was also great opposition uh, from the Jewish community when they realized that here was this Messianic Jew coming, putting on a festival, trying to bring uh, Jesus, uh, Yeshua, to the Jews of that area. But I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story or the history of Budapest. Uh, the Danube River runs between uh, Buda and Pesta, Pesta, which is Budapest. It's actually two cities. Um, and uh, during the Second World War, uh, there was a Jewish enclave there in Budapest, and it, they didn't get touched by the Nazis until the very last few months of the war. But finally, the Nazis forced the hand of the uh, Budapest government to uh, be hard on the Jewish people, and they literally took uh, hundreds, if not several thousand Jews, uh, lined them up along the Danube River during the wintertime, cut a hole in the ice, and just pushed them uh, under the water and let them wash out uh, uh, you know, down the river. Uh, it was just a, a horrible persecution uh, of the Jewish people there in Budapest. And uh, one, uh, one night uh, during this festival, uh, I was rooming, and Jose Garastegui, my, uh, the chaplain of the ministry, was in a single bed close by my own bed. And during my uh, sleep, the Lord uh, gave me a dream. In fact, that's one of the ways God has uh, spoken to me many times, has been through dreams. 
And in that dream, I was in an, like an attic of a building, uh, and it was very, very dark. And I saw people in the attic. I thought, I thought it was people, uh, but they were silhouetted. You know, if you with a backlight, you can't really see the fa- facial features. All, you, all I saw were black forms. They looked like silhouettes, black silhouettes. And uh, I was talking to these, what I thought were people initially, and I said to them, I said, um, Jesus is coming soon. I said it in a very natural voice. When I said that, what I thought were people turned their heads and they looked straight at me. And they had green eyes, almost like cat eyes, and they were glowing. And I realized even in my dream that I was dealing with demonic forces. And I really can imagine the demonic forces over Budapest that had been so anti-Semitic and against the purposes of God. So then I found myself, I'll describe what happens, happened at that point, when I saw and I realized in my dream that I was dealing with demonic forces, and I really do believe that God was showing me demonic forces over Budapest. I was lying on my back, and I began to have this sensation of becoming a shofar. You, you all know what a shofar is, you know, the the horn, the ram's horn that's blowing. Uh, And I've had this sensation starting at my feet, coming up my body, and just came out my mouth. Jesus is coming soon! I roared. It came out of my mouth as a roar. I scared my neighbor, Jose. He reached over. He said, Paul, are you all right? What's going on? I said, I just had a message from heaven. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. I, I also had a situation, because uh, there are times when I, if the Lord doesn't talk to me a certain frequency, I then ask God, God, give me a dream tonight. Just talk to me. Tell me what you're, what you're thinking right now. And I remember one night I went to bed and I said, God, I, uh, please uh, speak to me. I woke up in the morning and, Nothing had happened through the night. I laid back disappointed, and then I had a very short dream. And in that dream, I saw a green road sign with white lettering, and all it had on there was Advent 2. Advent 2. Twice, he's told me now in dreams, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And I tell you what, that's one of the strongest missionary compelling forces that you could ever have to know that Jesus is coming soon. For those people that die, he's already come. But for those who haven't died, I do believe it's going to be very soon. And one of the things that's very, very concerning for me is the fact that when it says it as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, well... In the days of Noah, it says they were eating and drinking and marrying right up until the day that God closed the door on the ark. There wasn't a big warning ahead of time, though the Bible clearly tells us even though we don't know the day and the hour, it says we do know the times and the seasons. We may not know the exact day and hour, but we do know that we're in the time and the season of his return. And he's not going to, he said, I don't want that day to catch you like a thief. For, for us as believers, it's not supposed to catch us as a thief. We're supposed to be ready. 
But it's something to which with Noah, when I read that, it says they were eating and marrying and drinking right up to the day that God closed the door on the ark. And with Lot and his wife and two daughters, the day that they left and were pulled out of Sodom was the day that judgment fell. That's how quickly it's going to happen. We aren't going to be given a long period of time to say, well, okay, we know in the next year or next two. We, no, it's, it's going to appear to be in some ways, yes, there's going to be troublous times, but it's going to appear as if everything is going to be going on as usual. They're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Hasn't everything continued as it's always, always been? And so I don't really want to get into a question of pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib. Uh, somebody said, I think it's going to be pan-trib. It's all going to pan out somehow. But um, I really don't care. I just know that I need to be ready. And I want to make sure that my family is ready. I want to make sure as many people as possible is ready. And when I've had the Lord speak to me now twice in dreams about his return, it's just something that I just know in my spirit. I've got to get the message out. I've got to tell people, Jesus it's coming soon. And I, I, uh, I, I you know, there, oh, I'm so tempted to tell you so many other stories here. Um, but I, one of the things that I have throughout the book here, and I really initially, one of my motivations for writing it was to be able to tell my stories to my children and my grandkids. I wanted them to know how God had led me. And I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're no different than myself. I never could sit down and tell my children all the things that are in this book at one setting. You forget about things, but when you bring things back to remembrance, when you write things down, when you share them, all of a sudden they're able to read it and understand where you came from. They may have been told, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, this is what happened, but they've forgotten that. Whereas I wanted to have a story of telling my kids and grandkids this is how your dad and how your grandfather heard from God. This is how uh, he has led me along the way. And I've had a chance to have some of my family members that I sent books to write back and just say they thank me for this because it brought back the memories, the realization of how God had worked. And I really stop and think about the fact that God wants us to know his will. He he wants us more than we want it. He wants us to follow in his footsteps. And, you know, one of the things that really bothers me, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody that's involved in medicine knows the story of the Good Samaritan. But do you know the question that the um, uh, religious person asked Jesus before Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan? What was the first question? Does anybody remember what his question was? What's that? No, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Who is my neighbor? Okay, that's the second question that he asked. The first one that he asked was, what must I do to be saved? The question was, what do I do to be saved? And Jesus said, what does the scripture say? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and love your neighbors yourself. And wanting to justify himself, the guy says, well, who is my neighbor? Well, that's when the story of the Good Samaritan came out. But the initial question was, what must I do to be saved? 
Well, stop and think about Matthew chapter 25. Wow, the separation of the sheep and the goats. That's a scary passage. I don't know if it scares you, but it scares me. When the king says to the sheep, he said, uh, Come, beloved of my father, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When, you, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. You took care of me. And, but the interesting thing is, the sheep said to the king, Well, when did we do that? They weren't aware when they were actually doing it to Jesus. But he said, when you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. Then he turns to the goats and he said, depart from me. I never knew you. He said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, what did we do wrong? He said, well, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me. You didn't visit me in prison. And they said, well, when, we didn't, when didn't we do that? He said, when you do, didn't do it unto the least of these, my brethren. You see, in 1 John chapter 3, it says, Hereby we know we have passed from death unto life. How? What does it say? When we have love for the brethren. It doesn't say when we say the sinner's prayer. It doesn't say when we believe that Jesus died for our sins. It said we know we've passed from death unto life when we love the brethren. And then it goes on to say, and Jesus gave himself for us. He died for us. I, I wish the scripture would just quit there. But it doesn't. It goes on and says, And we should lay down our lives for the brethren. This is serious business. How we love other people is very important to God. God who before the foundation of the world planned to send his son because he loved the world so much that we could have a relationship with him and we're going to be his future bride and we're going to have... Boy, I tell you what. I've got to tell this. Other, is, can I just... just You've got, got to listen. John chapter 17 is another time when God talked to me. We were sitting down after I left Operation Blessing and... Um, in John chapter 17 is a chapter where it's the high priestly prayer of, of Jesus. And when he ends up uh, saying to his disciples, he says, I haven't just prayed for you only, but I've also prayed for all those who will believe on me through your preaching and through what you teach. And I was sitting there with my staff. I was sitting on a couch or maybe just in front of the couch on the floor. And when I... The, it dawned on me, that meant when he said he prayed for all those that will believe on me through what you preach, it meant that Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for me. The realization of it just really hit me. And I had this physical sensation as if, you know how you look at pictures in science books about sound waves and you see waves coming along? I actually had this sensation that the words of Jesus from 2,000 years ago traveled through time and came and I felt a physical force enter into my heart, into my chest when it dawned on me that Jesus prayed for me. It was a physical sensation. It wasn't just a head knowledge. I actually felt something come into my chest that Jesus prayed for me. And you know what he prayed? He prayed that we would become one, even as he and the Father were one. Why? What was the result when we come into unity? 
that the world may know that you, God the Father, sent me, God the Son. When we come into unity, that is the best mission witness that we can give. Amen? And I tell you what, when I realized that Jesus prayed for me, wow, that realization just knocked me off my feet. And when I, who am I? But I must be worth something. Paul, pre- Paul prayed, he said, I pray that you'll understand the depth of the riches that Jesus has in the inheritance of the saints. There is something about us that we don't even understand. God of this universe is saying, I want to be one with you. But you've got to be one with each other first. And as you become one with each other, then you become one with me, then just as I am one with the Father and you and me and I and him, we become one. That is our destiny. And your decisions that you make today are going to determine your destiny. Decisions determine destiny. And the other saying of my father was, the price of spiritual progress is obedience to the known will of God. And when you know the next step to take, take it. When God has said something, do it. Don't argue with him. But when you know that it's God, now you've got to make sure you know it's God, not just your own feelings. Be led by the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so this is what I really challenge you to determine your destiny as you follow after Christ by the way, I'm offering this book at $10 here for you here at the uh, conference. at $17 normally. And uh, I tell you what, if you can't afford a book, I'll give you a book. Just take one. Uh, but if you don't have the money, just take a book and mail a check out uh, in the mail on the, the address on the back. I would like for you to receive it to be able to understand how God wants to give you his ultimate destiny because he has planned out your life, as it says in Psalms 139, even before we were born, he formed us in his womb. As a th- he has thoughts toward us greater than the sands of the sea. This is the God that we serve. And as, Paul, as, as David said, as the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. And may that be our destiny, may that be our quest to be where God wants us to be. If you bow your heads right now. Heavenly Father, wow, it's just such an awesome thing to be able to call you Father. And it's not my Father, it's our Father. Because we're one family, we're one body, we're just one by your Spirit. And God, your Spirit is inside of us and It's awesome to think that we can know your mind and that we can have your mind and we can have the mind of Christ and God help us to come into a unity of heart and mind and as we know that you're coming soon, whatever that means, how many days, weeks, months, years, we don't know, but it's soon, it's soon. And may we be led by your Holy Spirit and walk in your footsteps. And I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this community of believers that has through the years made such a major difference around the world. And I look at some of the giants within this 
congregation and people that have come out of this congregation that have made such a, a tremendous difference in this world. And I just am so grateful that we're part of the same body. I just thank you, Lord. I ask you for your supernatural blessing to be poured out on Tulsa Christian Fellowship, that there will be a unity as never before among those that are here, that they will follow in your footsteps, that they will hear your voice, that they will not go just the way that they think they ought to go, but it will be the way they know because your Holy Spirit has guided them that way. May your name be lifted up in all that they say and do, and the same for myself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Appreciate it, brother.